Welcome to the Trainer Tools podcast. I'm here again with Gary Platt. Hi, Gary. How are you? Hi. Not too bad. First of all, let me apologize for my audio quality. And I did this on the last podcast as well because I forgot my microphone again. So I'm really sorry, but I'm operating off some crappy plug-in telephone type microphone. So sorry if my audio is not good. But this podcast was is actually one of the ones that I anticipate, I eagerly anticipate them because it's about debunking one of the biggest myths that there are in our business of learning and development. It's about learning styles. Gary, thanks very much for agreeing to talk about this because I know that you, you and me have talked about this in the past about learning styles. Do you want to just quickly give us a bit of an introduction about your approach on this? Yeah, sure. It might be a good idea if you just say, first of all, what, what the general idea is about what a learning style constitutes and the general the general view is that a learning style is a preference of approach to the way an individual acquires and assimilates new knowledge and skill uh, and and different people have proposed and suggested different ranges of preferences that people might have in different types of dimensions and in different types of context right so Speaking, speaking at this from a UK perspective, we tend to think of learning styles as being based on the Honey and Mumford approach, which is, you know, the activist, the reflector, the theorist, the pragmatist. I think in the in America, they tend to look more at VAK, the visual audio kinesthetic learners. Yeah, I, I, I'd say that's generally true. Uh, I, I do hear a lot of VAK as well in the UK. So, but, uh, but generally, if you're talking about in a management context, we do talk about uh, Honey and Mumford's concept uh, and there's also in an educational concept context rather than it's VAK predominantly. Are those the two models that you really want to talk about today or are, I mean I know that there are obviously other models are there any other models that we should be aware of that are quite useful important or or need a good biffing? Well I'd say none of them are useful. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay uh, All right. The big daddy of research in this field is a guy called Cofield, and he's really been doing research in this field since I think it's about 2002, something like that. And the most recent thing I've read of his was published in 2012. Uh, and in one of the papers, he, he identifies and lists all the different uh, learning style frameworks it, it, that he could find. How many do you think he did find? Oh, God, all of them. That he, well, I know of, I've heard, I've heard of about four, and I, I've certainly not, so I'm going to guess like 20 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. He came across 71. 71? Yeah, yeah. Goodness me. That's incredible. I mean, were they all quite different from each other? Are they more or less saying the same thing in different ways? No, they were, they were all... Well, some of them were saying pretty were saying similar things, but there were some that were really out there. I mean, he, he doesn't he he references seventy one, but he only actually researches uh, in some depth uh, about thirteen of these models. Because reading between the lines, some of these seventy one were bluntly batshit crazy in terms of you know what what they were about and so he, he he dismissed some of them and he just concentrated his initial research on 13 of these frameworks okay the 13 least batshit crazy ones yeah exactly <laughs> that sounds quite a sensible approach yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so how, how do you want to kind of talk us through the the reading and research you've done on this well i, su- I suppose I, I i should show i should declare my own guilt in this area when i was first introduced to learning styles it was through 
uh, Honey and Mumford's Learning Styles Questionnaire. And, yeah, me too. Yeah, and, and the minute I did it, frankly, I was sold on it. Uh, I thought, yes, I, I think this, you know, I found, I found the results quite compelling. And uh, I used to do this. I used to do the Learning Styles Questionnaire on, uh, you know, a number of trainer training courses. I think he even did it on the CTP program at Virgin Atlantic. You know, I think you uh, did. Yeah, I was just thinking that. I'm, I'm sure you introduced me to this. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and like you, I was sold on it. But it, it does feel like a very structured and useful model mm. that as a trainer, mm. as we called ourselves in those days, it, it certainly feels like it's a taking you some steps forward because you suddenly think, well, here's, first of all, a learning cycle from the Kolb learning cycle, which mm. I do think is valuable. I do actually like that still. And it does kind of feel like something that you can weave into the, your planning and your and your facilitation that actually will make it better. Mm. So it does feel like a useful tool when you're first told about it. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I mean, it's really quite compelling. And uh, and in fact, part of the research that's been done on learning styles, you know, is why has it become so popular? And one of the reasons that's it's proposed is that number one, uh, most of the learning styles formats involve some sort of self-reporting questionnaire that you complete yeah and everybody loves that don't they yeah and and really learning styles is an industry there's this lots and lots of different providers who offer these questionnaires that you complete and part of the reason it's compelling they're all what are called type theories you come out as a type you know, uh, so in, in, in Honey and Mumford, you're an activist, you're a reflector, you're a pragmatist, a theorist and so on and so forth. And, and if it's a self-reporting questionnaire, it's likely to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, what you think you are is what you fill in the questionnaire. And, and that sort of uh, confirmation of, of, of what I am and, and what my type is, is often quite a compelling, uh, uh, you know, and a magnetic uh, subject and so consequently one of the one of the ideas about why have learning styles become so uh, universal uh, particularly in UK education is simply because of that because people react in that way they, yeah, yeah. they find it they find it kind of compelling just because what's the word it's like self self-fulfilling you know there's a different f- phrase I was thinking I was thinking like self uh, like it's like accepting of yourself what's right. the word self I don't know. Oh, I don't know either. Anyway, what I was going to say was it's it's one of those things that kind of justifies yourself. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It mm. kind of... I can't think of the word. It'll come to me in the middle of the next sentence. I'm sorry, I'll interrupt you and start shouting at you with a new, a new word. But it's true. It's like those, you know, even those kind of questionnaires that you get in Cosmo and things yeah. like that that tell you what kind of boyfriend you are. All of those things, there's something about them which is kind of quite intriguing. Mm. And, and so... As a consequence, what you get is uh, in different fields and in different areas, particular types of learning style concepts being heavily drawn on and promoted. You know, and, and I was and I was literally one of those people who was doing that. I, I can't remember where and I can't remember when. I think it was just a, a general in, increasing need for evidence and science and some facts behind things i i started to read different approaches to learning and uh, developing people and, and none of those involved any reference to learning styles and indeed everything 
that I have read about learning styles proffers no evidence and no facts and no validation that they work. And so consequently, I started to, well, I just started to drop the whole concept. Does this mean that the learning cycle, Kolb's learning cycle, is equally invalid or is that actually okay? It's just what's been built on top of it, which is has no foundation. Right. Well, the, the thing about that particular learning style and uh, and other learning styles is that the the theory is generally viewed as incoherent. Uh, and what they mean by that is there doesn't seem to be any. Well, there is no evidence. There is no research. There is no validated material that says that. The, the original research of Kolb, Rubin and McIntyre was that, you know, there, there were big question marks against it in terms of uh, whether it's actually valid or true or not. Uh, and Honey and Mumford, really, to a greater extent, just piggybacked onto the back of Kolb, Rubin and McIntyre's original work. Uh, interestingly, just this is just an aside. The concept of learning styles is actually banned in German educational institutions because of this complete absence of evidence. So even wow. though even though we do find it extensively in, in, in Britain, you will not find it in Germany simply because it's just been banned. Is that true of all types of learning style, even the VAK and others? Uh, it, it, it's just not used. Uh, in, in German education, what they use to determine what style of training should be used or what style of teaching should be used is content and context. And they use those two parameters to determine what's the best way to teach this, not uh, this concept, which they view as bogus of preferred learning style. That's really interesting. And I have to say that as I've matured and become much more self-aware of how I learn, I've found that I just can't find a place on this activist, reflector, pragmatist, um, theorist thing. Yeah. I'm probably closest to a theorist. But then I, I was talking about this today with somebody, in fact, and they were saying, well, as a theorist, you will hate creative and something or other environments. And I thought, well, no, not really. Mm. Well, I actually quite like to reflect and I like to jump in and have a go. And yeah, I'm always thinking about how to apply it. Mm. And I don't know if that's just because I'm so amazingly skilled at learning now that I'm just able to do all four. Yeah. But I don't think so. It just feels like none of these are actually describing me. Mm. And it said, and I was also told that I don't like social learning. I like to go over book. And then that's not true. I do enjoy reading, but I also really need to discuss things and ask questions and yeah. be in a social environment to really motivate myself to learn. Yeah. And I know I learn a lot better when I talk about stuff. Hence doing this podcast, mm. for example. Mm. I mean, I mean, one of the things I would say, I, I would not deny that that people uh, will definitely demonstrate different approaches. Uh, for instance, some people that I work with are really quite quiet and withdrawn and need time to think about things. And then there are others who have to verbalise and talk about it. And I, and I think it's a it's based on those things that what they've then extrapolated is this whole concept of learning style. But the, the, um, a broader view of learning is that it's what they call a free-floating skill. In other words, it, the way we learn, we might, we might do things one way, but the next time we'll do it in another. And, and a really great example I'd, I'd give you, and this, this goes back to the German approach about content and context. The way a plumber learns to plumb is different to the way a surgeon learns to operate. They are different. And it's not the individual's learning style that 
impacts on how they learn. It is the subject and it's the context of the subject that influences that. Now, learning styles take no account of context. They predominantly focus just on the individual and what their preference is. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd probably say that that surgeon, if they were learning to do some plumbing, would probably learn it differently than if they were doing surgery, I guess, as well. Well, well, the, the argument is the plumber, if they're going to learn how to bend copper pipes, will physically will do it through testing and, and trying and doing it. Well, you know, that's not the way a surgeon learns to do a heart transplant. You hope not. Well, yeah, exactly. Uh, and so consequently, you know, the, the way those two things are learned is nothing to do with an individual's preference. It's to do with the content and it's to do with the context. That's quite an extreme example of the surgeon because obviously the risk is so great that mm. you can't experiment in the same way as you can with copper pipe. Mm. Mm. I'm just trying to think of an example where the risk is less great. But, for example, how you might learn how to facilitate a workshop compared to how you might learn how to uh, paint a picture. Yeah. Would they still be so different? I think uh, I think if you analysed it in, in some, uh, you'd find that there are differences. And it's t uh, and you know what is the best way for people to learn that? Uh, the, the German model would say it's nothing to do with the individual's learning style because the individual learning style they, do, they don't have one. What they have is uh, perhaps uh, some leaning towards a, an area, but it is not universal. It's not that it's constant and used in every diff in every different context people will alter and change right that's really interesting so they'll alter and change depending on the context depending on the content and presumably just depending on other factors internal yeah. and external as well uh, it, one of the most interesting observations about learning styles is that it reduces learning to a two-dimensional process and i think if you look at learning it's an incredibly complex, diverse, multi-dimensional concept. And the idea that you can reduce learning down to a four-stage cycle and that individuals learn by going around that cycle, but they may spend more time in one of those quadrants, reduces learning to something that is so simplistic that it's, so, that it's completely removed from, from reality. It, you know, it, it does not actually reflect how individuals learn and acquire knowledge and skill. But models are necessarily simplistic, aren't they? They, they have to be because they're, they're just a starting place to ask questions. They're not, never intending to be a full answer. Mm. The idea that we might go through a cycle where something happens, we think about what happened, we then try and think, well, so what? What does that mean? You then have a, a process of now what? How can I consciously practice this skill that I've decided I learned or whatever? as a process, does work to some extent. Well, let me put it like, let me give you my view on that. Yeah, models do have to be simplistic because they try to illustrate and help people to understand, you know, a framework. But there is a model of the earth that says it's flat. And then there's another model of the earth that says it's spherical. One is wrong and the other is correct. <laughs> That's true, just because, okay. So in your, in your exact, in a, so in this example, you think that the learning cycle is closer to the world is flat model. Yeah. Okay. All right. I, but I, I, it is a simple model. And, that, and again, that's why I think it's so compelling. It makes something that's incredibly complex and sophisticated 
well, in my view, puerile and uh, and and it's and incorrect. Yeah, I I suppose I'm clinging to this slightly because I do find that when when I first learned about it, I tried to, and I remember, I think it was you actually that said at the time, don't get stuck on a learning style and wear it like a badge, and mm. don't don't it doesn't mean that oh gosh you're an activist you don't need to bother doing anything else what it actually Mm. means is you have to try harder in the other parts of the cycle because you have to complete the cycle in order to learn and i believed that for a long time and now i am more skeptical but i still believe that there's something in there that there's something about if if we're talking about capturing learning from experience there is something about thinking about that reflecting on it framing it Mm. puzzling over what it means trying out different things to see if you've you know captured the right learning going around again there's something around that conscious practice which is actually a valuable tool well there was this there was two uh, interesting pieces of research done into this idea of matching and when i say matching i mean we 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 examine what the learning style of the individual is and then we match that to the style in which they are trained or taught. And there's been two fairly substantial pieces of work done in that. One was by a guy called Pashley, uh, and that was back in 2001. And another one was by two people called Spoon and Shell in 98. Um, now, what happened in the Pashley one, that they, uh, they basically... Uh, trained people they first of all they identified what their learning style was meant to be then employed uh, a a learning style which was not matched to their learning preference and and what they did is they crossed and mismatched and then matched and the results of the tests that they then did on these people indicated that there was absolutely no correlation for the most part between what you did and what the learning style was of the individual was that based on the Honey Mumford learning styles? It was, it, they did it on a number of different styles. Yeah, I see, I can totally believe that because I really do. I am increasingly sceptical and doubtful about the power of learning styles. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm with that. And, th- and then Spoon and Shell in 98, what they did, they had 12 teachers and there were, I, th- I think it was 189 basic skills that they were teaching. And they did exactly the same thing. They matched the teaching style, the preferred teaching style of the teacher to the students' teaching styles, and they sort of grouped them together. And again, the evidence of that, there was no improvement of any statistical significance in the results that came from doing that. I guess there might be people listening to this that have a certain amount of affection for the models that they've used and they've you know, weaved into their training plans and training programs and all of this stuff. And I suppose we're guilty to some extent of then confirmation bias because we will look for evidence to support what we do. And if you start telling people they're visual or audio or kinesthetic or whatever, then perhaps that's what they'll notice. I wonder, is there anything in that? Because I suspect there's people that are out there that are listening to this and thinking probably lots of auditory people because they're listening to a podcast. Is, is there some sort of... So is that equally debunked as well as a theory, the VAK stuff? The VAK? Yeah. Well, I would say I have a read of a book by uh, a Dr. John Medina, which is called Brainworks. And, and in, in that, he looks at things about, you know, what is the major system by which we acquire knowledge? And, and again, 
there, there is no evidence for VAK in terms of that. The only evidence that does exist is that human beings are strongly visual. That Medina talks about that being the major system. And he, he quotes some really interesting research that was done. And I can't remember the exact details, but what they did is they showed people something like 5,000 pictures. And then what they did sometime later, they repeated this and showed them the same pictures, uh, but they would put some new ones in. And they could identify with 90 percent accuracy what the new ones were. You know, so the incredible ability to to just look at a picture for 10 seconds and then be able to recognize it sometime later. Now, now listen, I'm, I'm quoting this and those you'd have to double check the figures. But what Medina says is, you know, if you want to talk about sensory systems, uh, then visual is king. Yeah, I think most of us would recognise that. I don't think of myself as particularly visual compared to most people, but still, obviously, it's a hugely important part of communication. But I think of that as more communication than learning. I've always thought of VAK as communication options mm. rather than learning styles. Mm. I never quite got how they were learning styles. So they're equally debunked in terms of being a learning style system. Well, if, if you read the work of Cofield, well, this is true across the board. The whole concept of learning styles is the, 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 there is very, very, very little evidence. There's absolutely no apparent experimental methodology behind this. It looks like somebody came up with the idea and then just promotes it. But when you ask to see the evidence, the research, some of it just doesn't exist. And some of it that seems to be promoted uh, is very questionable in terms of how it was done uh, and the biases that were built into it in order to, well, increase sales of a questionnaire or whatever it is. Are there any particular sort of gems from that Cofield work or any of the other research you've been doing on this that, you, that are useful to share? Well, the the, I mean, there's one that uh, I know I, I absolutely recognised and it it's about um, the learning styles, about activist, reflector, etc. Uh, you know, and the general idea is that what you try and do is you build in uh, these learning. You, you recognize what the learning style is of your target group and then you build this in to your lesson plan. And, it, and he said, oh, well, this is where the theory uh, butts up against. This is where the, the Titanic theory butts up against the iceberg of reality. Um, right. uh, 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 nice phrase. Yeah, and basically what he says is, look, yeah, you are. You're you're training a group of fifteen people. Um, they've each of them have got, you know, they got a, a very distinct learning style according to the questionnaire. What are you going to do in your lesson plan? You can't cover each subject from an activist, and then we'll do it, and then we'll. It, it, it's in just. It just doesn't work. You know, there is never any substantive ev evidence that that works. And also there is very little support or guidance about how you deal with a group of 15 people that have a completely diverse range of so-called learning preferences and then reflect that and build that into your one hour training session. Yeah, I think that's absolutely correct. The only thing you can do is try and reflect all four styles and try and encourage all the people to do all of it, because that's what the learning cycle says you're supposed to do. Right. So 
is what you're suggesting, John, that they, first of all, they do a bit of activity and then we get them to think about it and discuss it and then try and think about, well, how would that, uh, how does, how is that working and what that is? And then develop a sort of plan to utilise that back in the workplace. Is that what you think? You saw me, you saw me come in, Gary. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'm not suggesting that literally, but yeah, that's kind of what the theory says. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, here's the second iceberg. That would become incredibly tedious after a bit. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> if I knew, God, we're going to do this now, now we're going to reflect on it now. I, I mean, you'd be falling asleep after 20 minutes. So. From from observing learners yourself, I have, and all the people listening to this podcast between us, we've observed, I don't know, thousands and thousands of learners over the years, I'm sure. Yeah. We've all noticed that there are different preferences in terms of how people engage, at least in the workshops, how people in, how willing people are to do work outside of the workshops yeah. before and after, yeah, yeah. how willing people are to engage socially during the workshop but also during breaks also again before and after and other parts of how we might build a learning program there was definitely some sort of preferences on display Mm. so what's that about then well i I would say uh, we we, yes there are preferences the issue is how long are those preferences present before the learner changes to a different approach and a different style so without doubt there are times and occasions in a classroom where I just want the trainer to tell me, you know, I want you to stick a PowerPoint slide on and I want you to talk me through the process. And then there are other times equally when I want to sit down with a group and I want to practice this together. Now, my preferences in that context are nothing to do with one phase of this so-called learning style. It's just that's how at that moment, at that particular stage, I think I would like to acquire that particular piece of knowledge and skill, but it's not a distinct mono style. Do you think it's linked to personality? Well, um, Coalfield would suggest that the origins of the entire learning style industry came from Jung and then the Myers-Biggs type indicator questionnaire. Oh, really? So it comes down back down to that, back down to good old MBTI. Yeah, yeah. Blimey. I didn't realise that was, which is another thing which is questionable in terms of its yeah, yeah. Uh, research and foundation. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, that, that, that Coalfield just presents that as an idea. Uh, and, and I can see it that, you know, uh, the, the, the Myers-Biggs type starts to, uh, again, it's a type theory uh, that people can, uh, you know, begin to sign up to. And indeed, I have seen papers where people have linked Myers-Briggs to learning styles. Yeah, well, I could see. In fact, Myers-Briggs do actually say within their theory, there is a section on your preferred style of Mm. learning for each of the 16 types. Mm, And I forget what mine is now, but it was it was quite unconvincing. And I'm not massively convinced by Myers-Briggs anyway. But my learning style that came out of that theory, I, I I should have it in front of me, really, but I don't. But I'm sorry, but I remember it not being particularly convincing. Because yeah. because despite being introverted, I do really like social learning. Right. I really need to engage with people. And that never seems to show up. You're introvert, therefore all you want to do is sit on your head in the darkened room of a book. And that's not true. Mm, mm. Although there are times when I want to go away with a book and get some theory or something like that or deepen my knowledge. So yeah, yeah. Again, that's, that backs up your idea of it being quite changeable mm, yeah. and quite context and content. Mm. 
uh, sensitive. I mean, as well as this, there's, there's, there's some other criticisms of, of learning styles. This uh, this one to me was a bit obtuse. But uh, well, go on, go, keep 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 on, oh. Gary. Let's kick them. They're down now, but let's just keep kicking them. <laughs> well, this one is, I'd say, slightly obtuse. But um, um, there's a guy called uh, Grash who who again examined this concept of learning styles. Uh, and he talked about, look, sometimes when you're learning, what you need is some what he called constructive friction. And basically, it was been either the teacher or the trainer challenged the way you were doing things uh, and, and would get in your face a bit about um, the way you were learning and acquiring. And basically, try to push you out of your comfort zone a bit in order that you're, uh, you know, you, you expanded your options. And I can see that uh, being, you know, again, a legitimate criticism. And the other one was that even if... Can I I just say on that, I I don't know if it's not not necessarily a criticism of learning styles, but I think it's interesting practice. Was he saying that Grash, the name you said, was he saying that that has to be present for learning to take place? No, I don't think he was saying it has to be learning to take place. But what he does say is that from time to time, that... Uh, this kind uh, a slightly more dynamic uh, approach to a learner might well help them uh, acquire or uh, learn something new whereas if they if you didn't do that uh, they would just sit in a comfort zone and perhaps not move out of it and and basically what he was saying is that he basically saying even if this learning style concept exists which i don't accept does it would not be a good idea just to play to people's learning styles because, you know, sometimes we, we have to move out. We, we, in order to learn something, we have to be pushed out of it. Now, now the other argument that's put forward, again, if if you say, well, OK, the learning style concept is true and that and learning styles do exist, then the issue is if we play just to an individual's learning style, to what extent are we preparing them? for going back into the workplace or into society where what you've got to learn will not necessarily be facilitated in the way that you prefer? And the answer is we're not preparing them for that. No, the individual has got to be able to be flexible. Yeah, quite frankly, the opposite, isn't it? If we're playing to the learning style, as you just said, when we're not pushing them out the comfort Mm. zone, exactly as you said, yeah, we're not preparing them for anything at all. I'm not a bit, I'm not in, I, I, I accept that as a point, but it's based on the premise that learning styles are true in the first place. And, and the, the, yes, of the, course. The, yeah. The bottom line is, and this is the damning thing is these things have been knocking about since, you know, Myers Biggs uh, made its appearance. And there is no substantive evidence of any significance to say it's true. They exist and they are helpful. And, you know, and that's why in Germany, where perhaps they are a little more focused on evidence-based research, they've just said, we're not doing it. There is no evidence for it. Sadly, in the UK, if it sounds right and it feels right, they'll do it, regardless of the facts and the evidence and and, and, uh, the absence of research. Well, I don't think it's just the UK. I mean, I think it's more widespread than that. As we said at the beginning, the, the US, they tend to use VAK a lot. I've heard that there. And I'm sure in other parts of the world, they use similar theories and ideas because again it just just feels like as a facilitator it's giving you more tools more models more knowledge and therefore you feel you can use that to be a more effective facilitator Mm. so it's it's quite enticing 
in that sense and to rip that away and say it's not about that is is a hard lesson for a lot of people to hear i guess the way i look at this is you know a lot of people have made their mind up and they don't want to be confused by the fact well that's true of a lot of things isn't yeah. it not just learning styles yeah. so you you've now ripped this away from us lnd professionals what could we put in its place is there any anything that we could use instead develop instead which might help us I, think through how people learn yeah, i mean I would follow the idea of looking at what the subject is, looking at the context in which that subject will be applied, and then determining what might be the best way in order to help somebody acquire that knowledge and skill. And in my, you know, my own my own approach to lessons, you know, lesson plans is that you know at a very simple and very basic level, I never try and do the same thing for longer than twenty minutes. You know, I'll try and chop and change it a lot, but I'm not doing this according to a learning style. I'm doing it to keep people engaged and keep people interested by giving them new things, uh, new approaches, uh, you know, and in that sense, create a much more uh, dynamic and uh, interesting learning environment. But I'm not I'm not being stifled by this false concept of a cycle or, or uh, you know, um, uh, sensory preference. Yeah, and I mean, that, that's just being conscious of the fact that human beings are human beings, yes. isn't it? Which is useful, a concept, I think, in our business. And also, this, this idea of context and content, is there any particular specific process or model to follow when using that? Or is it just look at them and do some research, see how it's going to be used in the real world and think about it? Yeah, I mean... To, to be honest, I think what we're doing now is straying into the field of, you know, program lesson plan design and what have you. And, and that, I think that in itself is a is a big subject and a, and a big program. I, I, to, I mean, to a greater extent, it's about uh, looking at the subject and saying, what what is it people have got to do with this subject in in what framework and in what context has, has it got to be done? And then and then trying to break that down into what are the chunks that people have to acquire and what's the, the most amenable and fastest way of getting those chunks across and allowing them to practice and utilise it. OK, well, let, let's not stray too far into lesson plan design, as you yeah. say. I think what you just said then is useful and it is the start of that discussion. So so just, just running it back just to learning styles. Is there anything else about learning styles and that you want to share in this podcast? I, no, I don't think so. It's just that I, I'm aware that, uh, you know, for there'll be, as you say, there'll be people listening to this for whom they are completely convinced of learning styles. And, and that's fine. It's just that in my own approach to training, I now prefer to base what I train people in and the approach that I use to train people is based on some evidence, some good research, uh, you know, and, and, and where possible, black and white facts now that isn't always possible but my own feeling is that learning styles have been around for such a long time now and there is still such an absence of any research you know and and in my own view is extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence and there isn't any here and that's and that's personally why i do not use it other people can do what they like but you know if they start talking to me about learning styles i will challenge them on it no, good for you. And I don't use them either. And I think similar to you, I've, I've just found that they, 
and I think the reason I don't use them in my case is perhaps a little bit more pragmatic because it's just I haven't found them useful. Well, no, exactly. And I found exactly, yeah, yeah. I just haven't found them useful, and I found that actually just forgetting about it and just thinking about how to help people learn whatever it is that they need to learn and just thinking about that and thinking about, I hadn't put it in the the words of content and context in your Germanic example but I found that to be a much more useful approach yeah yeah Un- unwittingly following our German colleagues exactly well listen thank you very much for that Gary that's really interesting and we'll put whatever links we can in the description of this podcast yeah, I can send you the links to these documents that I've referenced and then people can uh, have a read of them themselves. Yeah, make up your own mind. You don't have to believe Gary Platt or, or me. Yeah, yeah. So great. Thanks, Gary. That's really interesting. Thanks a lot for that. And hope to see you again on this podcast. Okay. Okay.